Hi, and welcome to Multi-Housing News Quarterly Podcast with National Apartment Association Specialists. I am Laura Kalugar, Senior Associate Editor with MHN. As we move on closer to the end of the third quarter, the economic impact of the COVID-19 crisis becomes increasingly apparent. The multifamily industry has been touted as one of the few real estate sectors that have weathered the storm fairly well. But there are several factors that might interfere with the sector's performance going forward. Paula Munger, the expert leading NAA's research efforts, is here to tell us what the data say. Hi, Paula. Great to have you back. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. So you've been closely monitoring the coronavirus situation ever since the outbreak began in the U.S. How has the American economy been taking the hit so far? Oh, it feels like a bit of a roller coaster some days. So the depth and breadth of the impacts have been astounding. We have some bright spots. So the initial claims for unemployment were down two weeks in a row, under a million um, for the first time since the pandemic started. Of course, unfortunately, last week they were over a million. And we also started adding some jobs back. So May through July, we added some of the jobs lost, but, but when you look at the entire impact, we're still negative 12.9 million jobs in the hole. So some 13 million people are unemployed still. And um, so we're, 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 it's, it's ups and downs really. We're getting through it, but it's been particularly challenging obviously. And the real estate market started this year on solid ground, but ended the second quarter in a recession. The housing market, however, has been holding up. What has kept this real estate sector together until now? Yeah, the housing market, talk about a bright spot. That's certainly one of them. It's it's one of those, it's a sector that's actually experiencing that elusive V-shaped recovery that everyone wants to see, but there's a few factors there. First, the housing was undersupplied going into the pandemic, and it still is. Second, we were already seeing the older millennials transition to homeownership. And while they stayed on the sidelines during the shutdown, once those those stay-at-home orders were lifted, if you kept your job and you still had that down payment together, we, we do know that Americans are saving, are, are putting away money right now if, if they have kept um, their job, certainly. So um, those folks decided now is a good time to purchase. So we're seeing really strong indicators in um, uh, single family home sales, also in refinances, refinancings and renovations. And also even with multifamily, the, the most recent, the uh, permits and starts data was just released and, and multifamily is looking pretty good um, right now. So, so hopefully, going forward, we'll be part of that. Um, you know, we are part of the housing market, but hopefully we will see similar V-shaped as the single family market is currently. Probably part of this um, positive um, vibe in the multifamily sector can be attributed to the stimulus packages. How much have the fiscal stimulus packages softened the blow until now? Oh, wow, a lot. Um, can't say enough about those. So one of the interesting things that the Census Bureau did for, they did it for 12 weeks. It was called the Household Pulse Survey. And they surveyed households across the U.S. They actually did one for businesses as well. Um, and it ended, it ended, but they're going to start it up again. And they asked how you are paying for things. So not just rent or mortgages, but 
how are you paying for utilities, food, groceries, et cetera, et cetera. And we pulled out the just the renters who had um, either no confidence or very little confidence in their ability to pay next month's rent. And looking at how they're paying for things right now, first and foremost, they mentioned borrowing, so the borrowing from friends and family. They're also using deferral. So if you worked out a mm -hmm. payment plan with the owner of, of your property and you don't have to pay full rent on the first day, they're using that money to pay other bills. And then the third one was the, the stimulus. So the extra unemployment insurance and the stimulus checks. So, and, and they had a list of, of maybe 10 different ways you could pay for things. So those top three tells us that it is really important. This, the, um, the extra unemployment insurance was important for all those renters uh, being able to, to pay their bills on time, including their rent. And what do you expect to happen next? We, we all know that the $600 a week CARES Act supplement to unemployment benefits ended. And despite rising pressure for more capital infusion into the economy, there's little political consensus at the moment. Yeah, it's really hard to predict Washington. Um, so yeah, as you said, there's, there's not a lot of consensus. The president issued some executive orders a couple of weeks ago, allowing states to, uh, in, in, including an um, extra unemployment, but states had been have to make up the difference. And from what I understand, only one state is currently doing that. It's really complicated. And they were already having difficulties processing all the unemployment claims. So there's that that's sort of out there, but, but again, um, um, Congress couldn't come together on that. And I've heard some speculation that, that potentially nothing will be done until after the election. And hopefully that is not the case and they can come together before then. But it's anyone's guess in terms of what's it gonna take for them to come to some sort of compromise and pass something that's gonna help both consumers and businesses. And all this uncertainty is probably harder to take for class B or class C property owners, um, considering that missed payments are most frequent in, in lowered priced properties. And unemployment in July was at 10.2%. How can these owners know that they will get the the money, the payments, the rents, considering uh, their uh, residents don't have that support. Yeah, so obviously they're, they're the ones we're most concerned about in BNC properties and also just older and smaller properties. And, and that's what we call naturally occurring affordable properties. And typically uh, people who live in those properties and rent those properties are service workers. And, and those are the ones who are suffering the most. Um, because they're out of work or they've been furloughed or, or they've taken a pay cut. There's a company called LeaseLock and they have been looking at Class C rent collections um, specifically. And I haven't seen their mid-August data, but, but they did um, come out with a report on August 1st. And it's the percentage of residents who paid in full. And Class A, 17%, Class B, 15%, Class C, only 11%. And you look at the numbers compared to last year and they're down, particularly for B and C. So there's, there's a gap there. So that's certainly a challenge for B and C. And the other thing um, in our June survey, so NAA has been surveying its members every month since April, since the pandemic began. Um, and in our June survey, we broke it 
out, we broke out the responses by multifamily, two to four unit properties and single family properties. We had a fair amount of two to four unit owners responding and 19% of them, so nearly one in five, said at current delinquency rates, they can only operate, they'd be out of a business in, in less than a year. So that's really troubling and concerning to us. Wow. We are hoping, yeah, um, uh, hoping for, for more help for, for those owners. Well, we all know that DNA delivers a regular reports on, on how the coronavirus situation evolves, but you also conduct member surveys, as you mentioned earlier. What are the most striking findings of your latest survey? Yeah, the latest survey we did in July. We're actually we're giving our we're giving our members a break in August, and we'll and we'll do another, probably yeah. the final one in September, and we'll see if we can get that to continue. But from the July one, the open-ended question. Open-ended questions are great. You, you don't really get a particular data point from them. So in, in that sense, in that sense, they're challenging, but they really give a lot of insight in, into what's happening. And especially if people take the time to fill them out, and, and a lot of our members did. But we asked about how is this impacting your budget process? And it was just first. I think the most stark thing was there's so much uncertainty out there. And I know that's not probably not a surprise, but we had a couple, several people say we normally, we are normally well into the budget process by now. And we've had to put it off a couple months because we just don't know. Um, and certainly they're, they're budgeting for lower rent, um, higher delinquency, higher occupancy rates, lower NOI and putting off capital expenditures that, that they don't have to right now. They also mentioned an increase, they're budgeting for increased expenses because of PPE and training. There's a lot of training going on with not just with maintenance technicians, but all employees. And um, one very telling thing, there was a company that's been in the business over 50 years, and they said, for the first time, we will budget negative growth. So that's, that really was um, stark. I agree. And what did NAA members that participated in this latest survey say about the percentage of residents facing evictions due to non-payment of rent if there were no eviction moratoriums in place? Yeah, this was an interesting question. We actually asked this twice in, in consecutive surveys. And one of the reasons we asked it is because there's so much press out there about this, oh, there's so many um, uh, ways they're referring to it, a wave of evictions, a tsunami of evictions um, coming if when the eviction moratoriums are listed. And that's not something our members, the majority, the vast majority, it was 92%, said that fewer than 10% of their residents would be uh, subject to eviction right now if there were no moratoriums. And that goes back to the payment plans they've worked out with their residents. And there are some owners and operators who have pledged to not to just not evict anyone for the remainder of the year. So I think it's getting overblown a lot in the press. And, and right now it's not something our, our, while our owners and operators are concerned about it, certainly, especially when you're talking about reasons other than non-payment of rent. Um, so while they're concerned, they also don't see that as a risk for their individual portfolios. And what do owners and operators think about the CARES Act 30-day notice to vacate requirement? 
Yeah, this was one of the um, uh, uh, provisions in the, in the CARES Act, which basically says after the moratorium expires, you have to wait 30 days um, to, to give a resident notice to vacate um, if they are um, subject to eviction. And basically, so the eviction process is already super complicated all over the country. It's, it differs based on where you are. And they said that this made, this made it more complicated. And the other thing that's troubling, it conflicted with, so this was a federal, um, it was in the CARES Act, and it conflicts with local municipality eviction procedures. So they, they, it's something that, that they're just, again, just confusing and conflicting and, and not helping matters in terms of, of trying to operate your properties. How many residents have used the local assistance program to pay either current rent or back rent? What did owners say about this in your latest survey? Yeah, most of them said, so 82% said fewer than 10% of their residents were using those, but we had another 10% that said between 11 and 20% are. So that was, that's a good, that's a good thing. Our government affairs department is tracking all of those local rental assistance programs. There's literally hundreds across the country. So, and, and unfortunately, when a municipality, as you know, local state and local governments are really hurting right now because they've experienced de declining revenues. And so mm -hmm. they're, they're super fiscally impacted right now. So when they have these rental assistance programs, a lot of times they just go through the funding almost immediately, but we are tracking those. And it's something that our owners and operators are encouraging their residents, if, if there are programs in place uh, for rental assistance or food assistance, encouraging them and giving them information on those programs so they could take advantage of them. And are residents up for renewal, renewal more inclined to sign short-term leases now rather than commit to a whole year or longer? Yeah, this is a trend we're seeing, um, and this was from our last survey as well, Two-thirds of our respondents said up to 10% of their residents are asking for short-term renewals. And then we had another 20% that said between 11 and 20% of their residents are asking for that. And that's just, I think it's just a testament of, of the uncertainty and um, people just not quite sure that they want to commit to anything. You know, it's a COVID environment, who knows what's going to happen. So owners are honoring those requests and a lot of times with the month-to-month -month lease there's a fee involved and they are waiving those fees right now so they really want to keep their residents and obviously we're, we're going to go through tough times coming up and keeping those occupancy rates up is very important do multifamily owners worry that rent collections might be problematic going forward if obviously no form of rental relief is approved anytime soon. What is the general sentiment among them? Yeah, they are concerned. About half of them said, we asked if, if the, it, this was in July, so we said, if this extra unemployment insurance runs out, what percentage of your residents wouldn't be able to pay rent? And half of them said uh, 11 to 20%. So that's that certainly would be a hit to income. And, and, and subsequently, obviously, those those benefits did expire. So again, they're concerned and they're hoping for more relief.
it's quite clear by now that we're not going to see a V-shaped recovery overall anyway, as most of us would have wanted. What type of recovery are we most likely to see? Yeah, the, the recovery, the recovery alphabet. That's one of my, my favorite um, <laughs> things to talk about. No, V is gone, although we did mention V for um, uh, housing. And, and people are talking about V for, for the stock market and, and most economists, and, and, and I would, I ascribe to this as well, is that it's not the best measure of an economy. There's so many other things going on with the stock market that have nothing to do with day-to-day -day economic activity. So what I'm seeing recently is a case, a K recovery, which is disturbing because it essentially means, uh, if you think about the letter K, people who have been able to keep their job, who are able to work remotely, and certainly not all jobs are set up for remote work, are, are doing all right. And then the people who aren't are still, so those people are sort of going to move ahead. The people who aren't um, are still in this downturn. And I'm also seeing a W, which is um, disturbing. That's basically a double dip recession. So we're out of it now and, and going back into it. I would like to think it's so, again, it's just so dependent on what happens with the virus. I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about sushi. Um, so I would like to think that if we have a vaccine in place, um, um, there's, there's talk that it might be uh, widely available by the end of the year into next year. I think if that happens, that we could see a pretty quick, certainly a recovery that speeds up. Again, I don't think we'll be We'll be back to normal until probably, you know, 2022. And and, and also, it, it depends on what segment you're talking about. So I have a. I was talking to my counterpart at the Airlines Association, and that industry mm -hmm. they're they're looking at 2024 at this point. Um, wow. And, yeah. So that's that's just incredible. That's four years away for a very um, powerful and um, a large industry that contributes to our economy to not be fully recovered by then is, is really telling. Um, so we will see and, and we'll see what, what other uh, letters come up over the coming months. <laughs> what about multifamily owners and operators? How long do they believe it will take to get back to pre-pandemic operating levels once the health crisis subsides, of course? Yeah, so we wanted to, we, we included a sentiment question in our survey. So we've now asked it three times. We asked it in April, we asked it in June, and we asked it again in July, and they're steadily getting more pessimistic. Now, now the plurality, it's 42% of them, still think it's between six and 11 months, which isn't too bad. But when you look at the responses for, it, it's going to take one to two years, in April, 16.8% bought that. In June, it went up to 17.2%. And in July, 23.2%. So almost one in four at this point are thinking, yeah, it's going to be a couple of years and we will need to write this out. And the purpose of, of all these surveys is to provide policymakers with vital information on what multifamily owners and operators need. What would most rental housing providers like to see included in the next round of COVID-19 relief legislation? Yes, certainly uh, far and away a rental assistance package. Um, we would like to see the extension of, of the unemployment insurance benefits. So continue, continue putting money um, in consumers' 
pockets. And, and the, more, the eviction moratoriums, uh, just, just not a blanket moratorium. Some of them are, are you know, it's not just non-payment or rent, it's for, for other lease violations um, that, 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 these, uh, that they're not allowed to evict. It's really the only recourse um, they can take if, if, if there's challenges with, with a, a lease breach. And also being, um, being able to, or having to prove your financial hardship due to COVID. So looking for mm -hmm. not just, um, again, not a, not a blanket eviction moratorium. Paula, thank you very much for taking the time to be part of our podcast series. Thanks, Laura. It's nice chatting with you. I'm looking forward to our next audio meeting. Until then, stay safe and visit multihousingnews.com for the latest news on residential real estate. Thank you.